hope you can say tonight, it is well with your soul. Saying the way this world's looking right now, that's the best place to be. Know that it is well between us and God. I I tell people all the time, I mean, I'm seeing and hearing things in this country I never dreamed or imagined I'd see in my lifetime. And listen, it's getting worse rapidly. I mean, things were getting worse before, but I mean, it it just has escalated. It has accelerated. It's, It's getting worse and worse every day. But you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us any different than that. It says that, you know, things will get worse and worse and people's, you know, they'll get harder, their hearts will get harder and harder and their love will wax cold. And so we, we know these things are going to come and uh, I don't spend a lot of time trying to fit these times and seasons into eschatology of Revelation. I got some friends that do all that studying for me and uh, I let them, figure, let them figure it out. You know, I figure, I figure if I'm all right with the Lord today, you know, and I lay my head on my pillow tonight, I go to sleep with a clear conscience and a clean heart. And if he lets me live to see the morning, I'll get up tomorrow morning and I'll go on and live for him the next day. And we just do that one day after another, don't we? Won't you be turning to your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14? Now, I just said something about eschatology, but this is not an es- a sermon tonight about eschatology. There's a lot of eschatology in Revelation 14, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. I want to look in verse 13 will be my main text verse where we'll begin. And uh, Revelation 14, 13. While you're turning there, uh, let me say it's uh, what a joy it's been to get to spend these few days in services with you. Uh, since Sunday, uh, Kathy so enjoyed getting to come with me Sunday and uh, seeing so many of you. And, uh, and I've enjoyed getting to be a part of these services. You've, you've just, as, all, as you always have, you've, you've made me feel so, so loved and, and, and welcome and, and, and warm and so thank you so much. I, 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 anytime I come here, I, don't, I expect no less than that. I appreciate your pastor and his wife and their children. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I believe God's given you a great family here to lead this church. And just in my conversations with Brother Seth, he's got a lot of great, wonderful ideas, a lot of great things in his heart and his mind that, that he wants to see God do here. And you know what? I believe God can do great things. I believe he can do th- great things here. He can do great things for you, and he can do great things in this church. And that's what my prayer for you is every day. I, I, there's probably seldom been a day passed in the last 25 years that I haven't prayed for this church uh, sometime throughout the day. Uh, we love me, Kathy, love you, and, and it's been so good to you know, get to revisit with some of you that we knew. And then it's been good to get to meet some people that we, I did not know, some people that I now know and, and have friendship with. So thank you so much for all of that. I want to ask you if you'd pray for uh, Mike, Mike Hayes' family, Mike and Sue Hayes. Sue Hayes worked for our department for 28 years. She uh, retired in 2019. Her, her husband, Mike, was diagnosed with face cancer eight years ago, and they told him if he lived five years, that would be a long life, and he, he actually lived eight years. Uh, he passed away this morning at 10 o'clock, and uh, we've known Mike and Sue a long time. When I was in college, I worked for Randall House Publications, and Mike and Sue both worked at Randall House, and so Kathy and I got to know them back, even back when I was in school, and so we, we've known them for a long time, even before I went to work for the North American Ministries, and so they were just dear friends, dear, dear friends, and Mike struggled for so long, but he, he, he went on to be with the Lord today, and I appreciate your prayers for Sue, his wife, their two daughters, Angie and Rachel. Uh, Angie's getting married in just about a week, and I sure was hoping Mike would live long enough to get to see her get married. But uh, I think they had a, came and had a service at the house that he was able 
to uh, sit up and, and, and at least get to witness it uh, so that, you know, at least you got a, a part of the wedding uh, at their house uh, one night last week. And so, uh, but just a, just a one, listen, what a dear, sweet man he, he was, and no question in my mind where he's at. But you pray for Sue, and you pray for their daughters, Angie and Rachel, and you pray for me. Uh, I, I'm, he'd asked me when he first, con, first was diagnosed, he asked me if, if I would preach his funeral. And I kept telling him, I said, well, you know, you'll probably outlive me. And, uh, but uh, Miss Sue, uh, that today, said again, you know, might wanted me to, to do that. And so I, I want to honor him because he, he was a dear, precious friend. But just remember them when you, when you pray. Revelation chapter 14. I read this first just a couple of weeks ago at my father's funeral. I've read it at many funerals. I read it at many funerals when I was pastor here. It's a great text to read at the funeral if the person who left here is a Christian. And this is what it says, Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his precious word. As I said, this is a great funeral text for a Christian who lived that life in front of everyone and had that kind of testimony. And how honored it is as a preacher, and Seth will agree with this as well, I know, and, and, and other preachers, that, you know, what, what a joy it is in, 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 for a pastor or a preacher to stand over somebody's casket and be able to read this verse about them with, with a clear conscience and a clean heart and know that it, it spoke of their life. And so I've used it many times. But one day I was just reading, studying this chapter again, and, and I got to looking at it, and I got to thinking about that. You know, Lord, I, I said, Lord, I, I, help me to live my life in such a way that whatever time I, I leave this life, whether you come to get me, if I leave this life by way of death, your return tarries, uh, and, and I leave here by way of death, and by the way, if Jesus doesn't return, in our life, all of us are going to leave here by death unless Jesus returns before that. And I, Lord, just help me to live my life in such a way that whatever preacher, whatever preacher that they have to come and stand over my casket and say whatever words they want to say, I would hope and pray that my life had been such that they could stand and read that verse over my body and have a clear conscience and a clean heart doing so. And knowing that that was the testimony of my life. As I was looking at that one day, it, it kind of dawned on me, if, if I want to have that kind of text read over my body at my funeral, I figure something out. You got to live verse 12 before you get to the funeral. Notice what verse 12 says. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. These are the ones you can stand over and say, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Here is the patience of the saints. And he describes them, these saints, he says, and it's just two simple things. You know the thing I like about the Lord? You know, serving God's not complicated. Now, we try to complicate it sometimes. I have some friends who think it's a gift to take that which is simple and make it complicated. That's not a gift. A gift, the gift is to take that which is complicated and make it simple, or take that which is simple and keep it simple. And he says two things about these saints who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. 
You know how you live for Him? You know how you live for the Lord? Just like I was talking about a while ago. You get up this morning and God let you, He let us all see daylight today and we woke up to another day of life and we live today the best we know how to live for Him. We lay our head on our pillow tonight, we go to sleep, He lets us wake up again tomorrow, we do the same thing all over. We just keep on doing it day after day after day till one of these days we won't wake up to see morning here. We'll wake up, but we'll wake up in a greater place than this. Here's the patience. So that kind of, it intrigued me when I read that verse. I had never really given a lot of in-depth study to that verse. Here is the patient. And, and that word patience, I, it, it kind of caught my attention. And so I looked in the, in the, in the Greek text to see exactly how that, what, what that word was in Greek. And when I saw that word patience in Greek, when I saw the Greek word, I knew immediately it was derived from an English word. Now, that's an old English word. It's not a word we use a lot today. Uh, but but it, it's derived from the, the word plotter, P-L-O-D-D-E-R, plotter. Now, that's not a word we use much. It's a good word, old English word, but we don't use it much anymore. Uh, you probably this week in conversation, you probably didn't say, you know, old Joe, he, he's a good plotter, you know. Probably hadn't said that this week. You haven't used it. We, we just don't use it much. And, I, and probably uh, until I saw this, I only remember one time in my life I ever heard anybody use that actual word in conversation. And when I was, I was a boy, when I was about 9, 10, 11 years old, I shined shoes in Jim Sims Barbershop in downtown Gillen, Alabama. Not a thriving metropolis. And uh, while I would be shining shoes there, all the men came in there. Now, for some reason in Alabama, they like to talk about football. And so they, they love to talk about football, and they did that all the time. And so I just listened to them as they talked about football. One day, the, one of the guys was talking about some, some particular running back uh, that had played. And, and, and he said, yeah, he said, he said that running back, he said, listen, that running back is a real plotter. Now, I never heard that word. And I, I, I didn't know what to, I I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And so I, I said, sir, I said, I, I've never heard that word before. Pl what, what, what's a plotter? Is that a good thing? He said, young man, let me tell you what a plotter is. He said, there are a lot of running backs that when the weather is nice and the temperature is mild and when the, <laughs> when the line is strong and the defense is weak, there's a lot of running backs that can make progress and gain yards headed toward the goal when it's like that. But he says, oh, when the weather begins to get worse, when the temperatures either get too high or too low, when the rain begins to fall or the snow begins to fall, when the field starts to get so wet that when they put their feet down, it's like suction in their feet trying to hold their feet into the sod. And it takes all they can do just to keep picking their feet and keeping their knees up. He says, he says there's a lot of running backs that can make yardage and make progress when it's easy. But all oh, those running backs, when the weather gets worse, and when the line is weak and the defense is strong, it's those plotters that put their heads down and keep their eyes on the go and keep making yardage. Yard after yard after yard. He said, those are real running backs. And that stuck with me over the years. And when I read that that day and I saw that was this word for patience, this is the patient of saints, he's calling these saints plotters. Plotters, wow, that's, you know, what, what a great word. And when you think about that, if you th and think about it in terms of running back, wouldn't that be a pretty good description for, for the way a Christian ought to live? Every Christian ought to be a good plotter. 
You see, sometimes it's easy to serve God when everything's going good. When the blessings are rolling in and the bills are getting paid and you got plenty to eat and, and the kids are behaving themselves and you know and everything's going good at work and everything's going good at home. You know, it's easy to serve Lord when, when it's like that. But oh, when things start to worsen, when the kids aren't behaving well, when you don't know if you're going to get all the bills paid at the end of the month, when you don't know where all the groceries are going to come from, when somebody you love dearly gets sick and, and when somebody leaves here, Leaves you alone. That's when it gets harder. That's when real plotters stand out. Because no matter what they face in their lives, no matter what comes at them, no matter what happens to them or around them, they keep their eyes on the goal. And they keep on making progress toward that goal. For eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ himself and all the saints. Plotters. You know what I'm thinking the church needs today? The greatest need in the church today is some more plotters. I mean, if we had churches full of plotters, it'd change our society. It'd change our church. It'd change our world if we had just a lot of good plotters. I want to share with you tonight two plotters God put in my life that had an influence on me and changed my life in so many ways. Two plotters. The world didn't know them. As far as the world, they weren't famous. The world didn't know them. They never got to see their names on a sign anywhere. But they were plotters. The first one was my father-in-law, Mr. Ira Backus. Mr. Ira Backus and his wife, Virgie, they were old school. I mean, real old school. Matter of fact, Miss Virgie wouldn't even say the word pregnant out loud. That was bad. I remember she used to say, yeah, you, you know, she's expecting. I say, expecting what? She said, you know. I'm not saying it. <laughs> Old school. They, they were raised hard. Both in big families. Never, neither one got to finish high school. They had to work to help the family make a living. Grew up hard. They, they remembered some of the depression times. Kathy's parents, even though Kathy and I am only a year older than her, uh, as an only child, her, her mother was almost 41 when she was born, so her parents were almost 20 years older than my parents. And so they, they remember some of those kind of days, depression time when they were children. And they grew up hard. They get to have the kind of education that's available to so many today. But you know what they did have? They had some work ethic. They worked hard. They treated people right. They were honest. When they told you something, you could count on it. Now, Mr. Ira Backus was a deacon in our church in Winfield, Alabama. And I, one of the deacons, used, he told me one time, he said, Now, David, he said, in our deacon meetings, Brother Ira said he rarely ever says a word. but says when he does, everybody shuts up and listens because they know it's going to be worth listening to. He never taught a Sunday school class in his life. He, he never sang a special in his life. He just a hardworking, honest man that every day of his life kept the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus lived it in front of his family lived it in front of the people he went to church with lived it in front of the people he worked with lived it in front of everybody in his neighborhood Mr. Ver Mr. Ira and him Miss Virgie listen if you went to the Winfield church if you got there an hour before service started you still wouldn't, be, wouldn't have beaten them to church 
They would be, they would be the first ones there. And I, I still believe to this day it's just because he didn't want anybody to get his parking spot. But they'd always be there. And if you got there and his car wasn't there, somebody better go check on him because something's wrong. I mean, they were there for Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and women's auxiliary meetings and business meetings and revival services. You could just you could count on them. You just knew they were going to be there. If they were able at all, if they were able to get there anyway, they'd get there. We're plotters. Mr. Iyer, he, one of the things I loved about him, he had a great sense of humor. Now, Miss Virgie, uh, she was serious as a heart attack. And, but Mr. Mr. I, he was he, he had the greatest sense. He was he was a fun guy to be around. He served. He he was a World War II veteran, and, and listen, he had hazardous duty in World War II. <laughs> he drove the truck that hauled the female USO entertainers. I said, "How did you get that job?" He said, "That's David. That's a classic example being in the right place at the right time." I know he came home, he had a, brought a stack of pictures of all these, you know, showgirls. They had their picture, they had to put that little lipstick kiss you know, on each one of them. And uh, apparently Miss Virgie didn't know about them. Now, they weren't married when he was over there, okay? They got married after he got back. But one day we're at their house, and, and Catherine and Mom are back in the back cleaning out an old cedar chest. And, and so I walked back there, and it looks like Miss Virgie's cutting something up. And, and so I guess Mr. I had put those in the bottom of that chest. And Miss Virgie found them, and she had some scissors, and she was having herself a time cutting them into little tiny little pieces. Mr. Iyer, he was, he was a something. I, you never knew what he was going to say or what he was going to do. He, he loved to pull things on people. One time, I probably shouldn't even tell you this, but I'm going to. One time he was in the hospital. So me and Catherine and Mom were there with him, and I told Catherine, I said, listen, won't you and your mom go on home? You know, get some rest. I'll, I'll stay with him today and tonight, and you go home and get some rest. And so, so they went, went home, and, and uh, so I'm sitting there with him, and Nurse comes in the room and she walks over. She puts a specimen cup on his tray. You follow me, right? She says, now, Mr. Backus, I think you know what to do with that, don't you? He said, yes, ma'am, I believe I do. She said, well, I'll come back and get it in just a little while. So she leaves. Well, he had some apple juice left from breakfast. He takes that specimen cup, fills it about three-quarters full of apple juice, puts the top back on it. I'm thinking, what in this world? So in a little while, she comes back in. She, she, comes, she, she t- picks it up. She holds it up to the light in the window. She shakes it. She says, we're a little cloudy today, aren't we, Mr. Backus? He said, let me see. She handed it to him. He holds it up. Look, he said, well, you know, you're right. He took it top. He says, let's run it back through and see if we can clear it back up. And he starts drinking it down. Listen, she was choking and gagging, running out. I'm in the floor. I, I'm hurt. I can't breathe. I'm laughing. I would have never thought of something like that. That was just the way. Listen, when Miss Virgie found out, I thought she'd gonna kill him. He wouldn't have died if he'd have died in that hospital because she killed him. Because she just that wasn't that wasn't wasn't funny to her. I thought it was hilarious myself. I just never had you know I've tried to work it out where I had the opportunity to try that before, but it just it, you know you, just certain things have to fall in place for that to happen, right? But that's what I, one of the things I enjoyed about him. He 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 loved and he enjoyed life. I meet so many Christians that just need to lighten up every once in a while. I mean, a lot of preachers just need to learn how to lighten up. You're going you're to drive yourself crazy being so serious and stern all the time. Listen, I believe God enjoys seeing us laughing and enjoying Him and enjoying serving together and serving Him together.
It's okay to laugh. It's okay to, 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 to enjoy some things in life. Being a Christian not, doesn't mean you can't do anything that's fun. It's okay. Tell you what, sometimes if I, didn't, if I couldn't do some of that, I, I think I'd crack up. I'd go in there, I'd have anxiety and depression and all other kind of things with all the things, problems I hear about and things I face. You know, I sit so many times in pastors' homes when I'm visiting with them and, and until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning listening as they share, you know, all the things uh, in, in their church and what's going on, and you know. And, and of course, I, I understand that. That's probably a lot of what I do, and I don't mind doing that. But if I, if I just dwelled on that all the time, it would drive me crazy. You, sometimes you've got to just learn. And if you, if you can't do it by yourself, get around somebody that likes to laugh. Get around somebody else. Spend some time around some folks that like to laugh and cut up. I'm telling you, it'll make you feel a whole lot better. And it'll help you quit worrying and stressing and focusing on some of those other things all the time. If you just let yourself just, just ease up a little bit sometimes, okay? I love Mr. Mathis. Kathy, I said, was an only child. She didn't know this till we were married. Her parents told her after we got married that she'd had a brother that was born 17 years before she was born. It died at birth. And her parents had never even told her until we got married. And uh, Miss Virgin loved me like that son they lost. I, I, I tell people, I, I can't even tell mother-in-law, father-in-law jokes and, and feel good because they, they, they love me. So Kathy say, they love you better than they do me. I say, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I'm talking about plotters. I'm talking about a man, wasn't a man he, never, he never was up behind the pulpit, he never was up on the stage. He's always what he did, he did in the background. Anybody died in Marion County, Alabama? I guarantee you some of the first ones going to be showing up there with a covered dish would have been Iron Virgie Bacchus. They were just good people. I'm telling you, too many of those good people are leaving this place. And we need to have some more coming along to take their places. There have been a lot of good plotters that have left this place. In the 25 years I've been gone from here, there's a lot of good ones still here, and I'm glad you're still here. And those that are new here, I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for being a part of this church. Mr. Ira, he retired from the company he worked for. The last year he worked for them, they changed owners, and he lost practically his entire retirement. He wound up getting about $100 a month retirement when it was all said and done. But you know what? I never heard him complain. I never heard him say, Lord, why, why are you letting this happen to me? He just kept on keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. When Miss Virgie was diagnosed with, even before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and we knew something was going on, and even when he got to the point that she accused him of all kind of things, all kind of ungodly things, and it would break his heart. And I said, Mr. Iris, she don't know what she's saying. I said, please don't let it hurt you. She don't know what she's saying. We stayed with them for a while before they had to go to the nursing home. Kathy and I, I would go down, I'd stay a week with them, and she'd go, then I'd come home, and she'd go stay a week. And, and uh, I came in one day, one morning, I came from the bedroom up to the kitchen. Mr. Iris was sitting at the table, he was back to Miss Virgie, and, and she had a, a skillet in her hand, a, a metal skillet. 
And she was headed toward him with that thing, Rachel. She fixed to whip, hit him upside the head with that skillet. And I just happened to catch her just before she did. Even through all that, he'd just go out in the yard and she accused him of going downtown to see some woman. Of course, I, I'd always try, I, I was always, I, I loved to get Miss Virgie to laugh because she was so serious. I, I just, you know, I'd try hard just, just to get her to laugh because it just, you know, because she didn't, she didn't laugh a whole lot. And she, she says, yeah, he's going out there to see some woman. I said, I said, Miss Virgie, if he found a woman, he couldn't catch her? She said, yeah, you're probably right. I'm talking about a man that even when his wife turned against him and turned on him. I said, listen, Alzheimer's is a terrible disease. You lose them twice. You lose who they are before they ever physically die. And then they physically die. And they went into the nursing home, shared the same room. We tried to get them to come live with us, and we'd build a room on it. But they, they didn't, they'd lived there all their lives. They didn't want to leave. He broke his health down trying to take care of her at home. So they both had to go in. And he couldn't even get out of the bed without help. And, uh, but you know what? I never heard him complain. I heard him, I heard him say, God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening to us? You know what he did? He just kept on witnessing to the people there in the nursing home. Kept on keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus day after day. He was only in about a year or so when he passed away. They had planned their funeral ahead of time and he had asked me to preach the, the message. I read this verse over Mr. Ira Backus. And I read it with a clear conscience and a clean heart because I'd watched his life since I was a little boy and I knew that he was a plot. You see, sometimes the people who get all the attention in church are people like the preachers and the singers that are up here on the stage. And many times we overlook those faithful, faithful Christians that just faithfully, day in and out, without recognition, without appreciation, they're not doing it to get a pat on the back. They're not doing it to somebody to hug their hand. They're not doing it to get a certificate of achievement. They're just doing it because that's what God wants them to do. Many times they do, and it's unnoticed by most people. Those are plotters. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being up front. I, I appreciate the folks that, that are up front, and we've got to have those. We've got to have those. But I'm just saying sometimes we get a whole lot more of the attention than we should. And many sitting in the seats that are being as faithful or more so than we are with what they're doing that none of us ever even see or rarely ever know about. I loved Mr. Ira Backus. Miss Virgie passed away a few years after he did. And uh, I have to tell you, I had two great examples there, him and his wife, examples to me of what a plotter is. But the second one, Mr. Ira was the first one. The, the second one that was probably had the most influence in my life was my mother. My mother's name was Natha Dean, two words, Natha Dean. May was her maiden name. She had two sisters and four brothers. Her two sisters, my mom was Nathan Dean, then there was Exine, then there was Nadine. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. <laughs> and my mother, my mother was born in Detroit. Now, not Detroit, that's Michigan. She's born in Detroit, Alabama. 
but she was a redneck. Now, don't misunderstand me. She was a saved redneck. She was a classy redneck. There's a big difference, amen? Okay, you won't amen it, will you? <laughs> my mother grew up hard. My grandparents raised them hard. and She grew up hard. But of my mom's brothers and sisters, she was, her and one sister were the only ones in the family that went with my grandmother to church from the time they were children. And she had some brothers. She had one brother. He was deacon in a Free Old Baptist church one time. And one Sunday morning he got drunk and rode his horse right down the middle aisle of his church while the preacher was preaching with nothing but his underwear on. And can you imagine, they put him out as being a deacon. And <laughs> that, that was the spiritual heritage on my, that side of the family. Now, my grandmother was a godly woman. I, I, the biggest surprise of that all was not that he did it, was that my grandmother didn't kill him. was the biggest surprise of that. But my mother grew up going to church. She grew up rough. She, she went high school, I think in the 10th grade. I went to work in garment factories. They, they call them textile mills some places, but garment factories where I grew up. Most of them, where I grew up, they, they made men's dress pants. Uh, a lot of it. And back in, the, when was it, what years was it? They were making leisure suits at one time. Anybody remember leisure suits? I mean, whoever thought that was a good idea? I mean, come on. They were making leisure suits at one time. So my mom, she worked in those factories all her life. Now, you understand that my mom, I, I grew up in a musical family. Uh, you, those of you who, who met my mom and my dad, my mom and dad, and met my brother and sister uh, over the years, uh, I think they were here a few times when I was pastor here. Uh, my dad and brother and sister, they, they had a bluegrass gospel group called Sugar Creek Gospel. They played and sang in churches all over uh, North Alabama and fiddle conventions and bluegrass festivals in uh, southern Tennessee and north uh, east Mississippi, northwest Georgia. I just, uh, you know, just very, very talented. Uh, I, they got a lot more of that musical ability than I got, uh, and so I guess that's why the Lord called me to preach and uh, let them do the playing and the singing. And uh, so when I played when I was home, I grew up, you know, there were ranch for there. I grew up playing the guitar, uh, playing the mandolin, those kind of things. But uh, my mom, she, she wasn't part of that. She, my mom, she never sang. She didn't think she could sing. So she would, and I didn't understand it because I remember as a little boy standing beside her at church, and we'd be singing, and I could hear her singing. I thought it was beautiful myself. She didn't think she could sing. So she'd always come, and when her family was up on the stage, everybody looking at them, and they're doing the playing and the singing. My mom's in the background. My mom never saw her name on a church sign anywhere. My dad and family, they've seen their names on church signs all over the place, places they were there to sing for homecomings or revival meetings or whatever it was. She came so many places. I preached revival. It was two hours of... Within two hours of where they lived, they'd usually, her dad would usually show up when she was still living. And they'd show up where I was preaching revivals. And she got to go and see my name out on signs of churches, the marquees of churches. My mother, her name never was put on any of those signs. Well, she was always one in the background. But I want to tell you, I, love, I learned some valuable lessons from my mother. One of the greatest lessons I learned was from her was you don't have to be rich to be generous. Now think about that for just a moment. I had a fellow tell me the other day, he says, oh, Brother David, if I had a couple of million dollars, I'd be generous. I said, no, you wouldn't. I said, if you're not generous now with what you have, you won't be generous if you had $2 million. 
You see, that ha- generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. It has to do with the attitude of your heart and where you put your treasures. You see, if your treasures are up there and not down here, uh, generosity becomes a whole new thing. As I said, my mother worked at the garment factory. She was manager of a garment factory in Glen Allen, Alabama for some years. And when I was 13 years old, she brought me, she, she got quit shining shoes at the barber shop and she put me to work at the factory where she was the manager. She had about 200 women, about 25 men that she was the manager there of this factory and they made men's dress pants. And uh, I remember at 13 I'd ride the school bus as far as it'd take me. I'd get off and I'd walk about a mile uh, the rest of the way to the plant and I'd clean, they had like 10 women's bathrooms and two men's bathrooms and I, I had to clean all those bathrooms. Listen, you don't teach a young boy some, either teach him some character or kill him, make him ten, play, clean about 12 bathrooms every day. They'd either give you some character or kill you one or the other. But, uh, and I'd sweep the, the building and she'd stay till I was done and we'd go home. And when I was 14, I, in Alabama, you could get a license to ride a motorcycle on the highway 14. And so I got a motorcycle and I, so every day I'd go out there from school, I'd go straight to the plant and they put me to pressing pants. I, I was a scene buster is what it was called. And, and so I, I not only got to see my mother at home, how she was at home, how she was at church, I got to see how she was at work. And sometimes that can be a whole different dynamic than, than church at home. But you know, I'm so glad I got to see my mother there because I got to see what, who she really was. A lot of the women who worked in that plant, listen, I, I didn't grow up in a house where anybody cussed and fussed and fought and hit and slapped. I didn't know women could cuss until I went to work in that factory. And I found out not only could they cuss, they could, some of them could outcuss any men I knew. And there were some mean women worked in that garment factory. And listen, they love to get me. I mean, I'm 14, 15 years old, the boss's kid. They, they love to get me <coughs> off and my mama, you know, wasn't out in here and, and, and tell me their exploits of the, of the weekend just to make me blush and embarrass me, and, you know, and, and they love doing that. But you know what? When my mother woke up, it stopped. Not because they were afraid of her. They loved and respected her so much they would have never said those kind of things in her presence. My mother never completely closed her office door. She always kept it at least a fourth of the way open. I can't tell you how many times I'd come in from school and I'd come in there and come in the plant to go check the clock in and, and start working. And I walked past my mom's office and the door would be partially open. And I'd see one of the women had come into my mom's office. And on Monday was usually when it would take place the most. Because usually what it was. One of the women would come into my mother. They got their paycheck on Friday before. That weekend they spent all their money on alcohol or drugs or, or, or whatever it was they did. And now on Monday, the babies were sick and they didn't have money to buy any medicine. They didn't have money to buy any formula for their babies. They didn't have money to buy any groceries. They went there asking my mom for help. I can't tell you how many times I saw my mother. Now listen, you may think because she managed a, a factory that she made a lot of money those people that worked there not, they weren't the ones that made the money the people who owned the place who made the money they didn't make much money I saw my mother take every dollar and every dime every nickel out of her purse so many times and put it in the hands of women listen that did things my mother never did that lived a different kind of lifestyle than my mother ever lived or even understood but listen she loved those women so much 
and wanted to help them so much. And I'd see her go without her meal for a day or two because she gave every penny she had to one of those women so they could buy food for their family, medicine for their babies. Or they'd come in there and their husbands had, had kicked them out or their husbands had left them. And they'd come in there because when you came in my mother's office, you didn't leave until you knelt at the end of that her desk. You knelt with her and she prayed for you. You came in there, you already knew ahead of time you're going to have to pray before you go out. Now, I can't tell you how many I saw knelt at the end of that table with my mother's arm around them, praying for them. Now my mother, she wasn't a confrontational kind of Christian. She, she didn't like confrontation. She didn't carry a big old family Bible under her arm everywhere she went. She never taught a Sunday school class in my life, that, that I know in her life. Never sang a special, but you know what she was? She was a plotter. She kept on every day keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Jesus when it was easy and when it wasn't easy. When she started her emphysema got so bad she had to be on auction all the time. I came in there one day, I was down in the area and I came down, came by and I saw Mom, she's at the table, she's got a pen and some paper, she's figuring something. I said, Mom, what's you, what you figuring there? She says, well, they only give me so many couple of bottles of auction a month. Uh, the place, I guess, where they got that from. So I get, only get a couple of months, and so I only got a limited amount of time. She said, so I'm just trying to figure out, I want to make sure I got enough to go to Sunday school, and Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then make sure I still got enough left to maybe up to go get some groceries and, and do the things. And listen, I broke my heart. I told my brothers and sisters, listen, we're going to find something that she don't have to do that. We found out, we bought her a machine and bought the bottles. My dad could take her bottles and could refill them. So she had an unlimited supply of that. So I said, I don't want you having to figure out, I don't want you have to worry about, you got enough oxygen to go to church or go whatever you need to do. Listen, when she got where she could barely go, she kept on plotting. She kept on going when she didn't feel like being there. She kept on going. When she'd have felt a whole lot better, she'd have stayed home. When my mom passed away in 2006, my dad asked me, he said, you want to do her funeral? I said, well, I don't want to preach the main sermon, Dad, but I do want to say some things. And I said, Dad, I'll tell you why. I said, because Mom heard me preach so many times. I said, I don't know how it works, but maybe when, when we go to heaven, maybe Jesus lets you at least listen in on your funeral. I mean, you know, it's kind of bad, bad to miss all those good things people say about you, you know, uh, if they say good things about you. <laughs> so I, maybe, maybe I said, that maybe Jesus might let mom listen in. And I said, and if he does, and as soon as I give my text, she'll turn to Jesus and she'll say, Jesus, I've heard this one. And I said, and Jesus will say, you think you've heard it. <laughs> but I did want to say some things. I did want to share, I shared some things. There were some wonderful lessons my mother told me about work and worship and generosity and love. She loved those women whose lives were so different from hers. She loved them. She genuinely loved them. And I got to watch that and see that all through my teenage childhood and teenage life. Then the years he gave us, and I got time I got to spend with her after I was away from home, out preaching, pastoring, and later traveling all over the place. I remember when I'd always call my mother. I was sitting, in, I'd be in an airport. When I had time in the airport, that's when I'd call my mom all the time. And, she'd, and she had my secretary send my schedule. I mean, 
my time, what time I got on the plane, what time, I, I, where I connect, what time. And so I'd call, she'd say, yeah, you're, you're at Chicago Airport, aren't you? And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I'm just talking about, I'm talking about plotters. I'm talking about those people that the world never really recognized. Didn't have fame, notoriety. Most people never even noticed what they did. But oh, they were faithful. A man asked me one day, he said, David, he said, you talk a lot about your mother and the influence she had on you. And he said, you think when you get to heaven and at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you think Jesus will let you sit by your mom? I said, well, I never really thought about that too much. But I, I said, since you just asked me, I, I don't know that he will. He said, why is that? I said, let me tell you how I feel about that. I said, people like me, that for whatever reason God has let us, has let me get out and go and I get to be the guy up front and I get to be the guy whose name's on the signs and, and you know, for whatever reason, I, I'll never, and honestly, I don't understand why, he ever, why he's ever done that. But I said, for whatever reasons, he did. And I said, you know, guys like me that got the attention and got the recognition down here, I said, listen, I, I think I'll be sitting so far from Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I'll need binoculars to see. I said, you know who would be sitting closest to Jesus? Those plotters. They didn't get any recognition down here, but I guarantee you they're getting it in heaven. I believe they'll be the ones sitting closest to Jesus. There. There. Because you see, God saw everything they did for him, whether we saw it or not. There have been so many wonderful people that have come through this church through the years that nobody hardly saw the things they did behind the scenes. But they were faithful. And there's some of you sitting here now that true of you. As I shared these things tonight, I hope some people's names and faces have come into your mind. And I hope God has put some plotters in your life as an example to you. And you know I know many of you, and I know you've got some plotters in your life. And many of you are plotters yourself. And you are that example to your family. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. I want to recognize you tonight. I want to appreciate you tonight. I want to love you tonight. But let you just remind you, what you do does not go unnoticed. What you do does not go unappreciated. Just keep on doing it. Keep on being faithful. Keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Is this sinking in yet? Am I getting through? I'm talking about plotting. Well, a little over two weeks ago, we said goodbye to our last parent, mine and Kathy's. My dad was the last parent we had living. Her both of hers had gone, my mom. And I stood and I read this verse over my father's casket. And I read it with a clear conscience and a clean heart because I knew his life. I watched his life just like I did my mom. My dad was one of the best men I've ever known. I've told people that I've lived most of my life tried to be at least half the man that he was. I'll never be able to thank God enough for the many plotters he put in my life. And tonight, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, be that plotter for him. Be that one that no matter what you face, no matter what your circumstances may be, 
whatever comes in your life, whatever happens in you and around you. Be that plotter that keeps on with your eyes on the goal, making progress. So we don't have to run the whole race and finish it today. It's not a dash. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a, it's a marathon. Sometimes we try to do it all today when Jesus just wants us just to keep doing it faithfully every day. Every day. Oh, Lord, give us some more plotters. Would you bow with me for prayer? Lord, I'll never read that verse the same ever again without thinking of all the plotters you put in my life. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the plotters in my life, in Kathy's life, and so many others, hundreds of others of names and faces that run through my mind as I preach this message. Lord, I think every one of us here tonight would want to be able to say that if we died, that the preacher could stand over our casket and read this verse over us and do it with a clear conscience and a clean heart. And everybody listening would know that it was true of us. God, that's what we all want. So God, in order to do that, help us to keep on keeping the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Help us to be those patient saints. Help us to be those, those plodding saints that that was said of. God, tonight, there may be some that just want to come to this altar in a moment and just thank you. Thank you for the plotters you put in their life. It may be parents, grandparents, brother, sister, husband, wife. It may be a friend. It, it may be somebody you work with, somebody, Lord, they, they go to school with. But God, you put them in their life, and they've been that example for them, of that Christian that keeps on doing right, keeps on serving you when it's easy and when it's not easy, when they feel like it and when they don't feel like it. God, we ought to be so thankful. Don't ever let us neglect to thank you for those people you put in our lives. Then, Lord, maybe you want somebody here to become that plotter for their family, to become that plotter for their children, their grandchildren, to become that example of faithfulness day in and day out, at home, at school, at church, at work, wherever it may be. God, tonight maybe we might ought to all, all, all get around this altar and say, God, help me. Help me, Lord, if you, of all other things you do for me, Lord. Help me to be a plotter for you. Help me to keep on being faithful to you every day. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time and this, this church and these people. And God, they've honored me, allowing me to come back and preach these few days. How blessed I've felt and how much I've enjoyed being here with them. God, many of them have been plotters in my life and to Kathy and to my children. Thank you for that. And Lord, for these new ones here, I believe there's some plotters among them, Lord. So God, you keep on bringing some good folks. You keep on bringing some plotters into this place. And God, I know in days to come, I'll hear great and exciting things from this place. And that's my prayer tonight, Lord. Do it in our hearts and lives. Do it in this church. Help us 
Help us to be the kind of plotters we need to be. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand quietly as we stand with bowed heads and closed eyes. Prayerful attitude. They're going to begin to sing, but I don't want you focused on singing. I want you focused on the Spirit of God and what He wants you to do. Some of you may just want to come and just thank God and praise God for the plotters He put in your life. Maybe you want to come and just say, God, help me as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a grandfather, as a grandmother. Help me to be that example. Help me to be that plotter in their lives. And you know, I believe God, if you pray that kind of prayer, I believe God will help you to do that. So as they sing right now, don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait, wait back and let Satan talk you out of it. You come on right now. These have come. What about you as they sing? What about you? Come on. Come on.